The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy strategies using insurance and annuity products which are guaranteed by the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with me. I'm Arab Halaby. Total Financial Hour, your place for news, talk, and information as we talk about your family's finances. I'll give you the number. Stay with me at 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. It's 888-99-RETIRE. That's how you get a hold of us. Okay, look, uh, this is going to shock you. <laughs> I know for a lot of you, you're thinking, what, Arif, you shock us? Maybe, maybe an occasional shock, but I'm going to address some really big questions that you're going to have. One of those is Arif. This is before the end of the show. I'm not going to promise you in the next five minutes I'm going to answer it, but I am going to answer it. Arif, why are you still in California? Arif, you talk so much about people leaving, how crummy the state is, Gavin Newsom is a pain. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Why are you still in California? Okay, I'm going to answer that question. Another question I'm going to ask uh, or answer is, how do you solve this problem in the state of California and the pension issues, the concern that we do have for the state pension system now that they're trying to do this ESG baloney? Maybe they're not even trying. They're actually doing it. CalPERS, Public Employee Retirement Pension System, horrible decision. If you are a pensioner, state, city, county, that is uh, subject to a CalPERS, Public Employee Retirement System, I'm going to tell you, you need to write the pension board. You need to get on the phone with the pension board. You need to go to these meetings. You need to sit in on the chats, whatever it is that they're doing to try to communicate to you. You need to send them a letter or an email telling them to knock off this ESG. It is not a good business decision. It has nothing to do with the proper decisions that companies make. What is ESG? Well, it allows companies the decision, the ability, investment companies, pension firms, to do investments based on this environmental, social, and governance. Meaning, if you fit into this credit score type system of environmental awareness, acknowledgement of climate change, Allowing LBGTQPSG to run and rule your business. And if, if you live in that world, in an organization's strategy and a system that is designed to value this craziness, then we'll invest in you. And if not, we're not going to invest in you. Look, just like I tell Nike, you sell shoes. Sell shoes. Will they make me jump higher? Run faster? Can I catch a bad guy if I'm a policeman uh, chasing down the street? Uh, I'm good with it. Sell me more shoes. But Nike, when you start getting into this craziness 
where where you have police officers uh, portrayed as porky pig and you have uh, this social involvement with black lives matter which is a political scam it is that's all it is political scam of course black lives matter try to say all lives matter try to say what about chicago lives and you'll get no answer from them right they started calling you racist etc so calpers you are now investing based on social values instead of whether or not this is a good business model or this business or this company or the industry is going to go up or down in value what are you doing? Do the math. So I need to tell you this. We're not a fan of BlackRock. I'm not a fan of Vanguard. I'm not a fan of Fidelity. I'm not a fan of Fisher Investments. Any place where these people are putting your money based on some sort of social governance or investment philosophy that has nothing to do with math, but has to do with feelings and whether or not they have heels in a size 10 and a half, and a skirt that makes my hips look right. you got to be kidding. Is anybody thinking there? Hello? Folks, it's up to you. CalPERS thinks that it can, it can handle one of the largest pension systems in the world, California Public Employees Retirement System, and they're going to invest based on these feelings and emotions. Watch what happens when they start to lose money. And they will lose money, I promise you. Watch what happens... When they start to make bad decisions and pensions start to suffer because they will suffer. I hope they make changes and it's up to you guys to stand up for that. If you're a pensioner, you need to write these letters. All right. Here's what I'm finding. This is pretty important to look at. I have a concern and this is not a left, right concern. It's not a political agenda concern. It's an American concern. Look, my job is to make sure that you have financial literacy you make good choices you you allocate the money in the right places right the job of this money is to put a new roof on the house in the next two to four years got it put it in a money market account put it in a savings account put it in a cd earn pretty good interest but that's not its job its job is to be available got it oh this money's job is my my 401k my pension this money's job is all i have for my future retirement Oh, well, then Arif, put it in a place that gives me reliable income. Get, put it in a place that can give me a bonus, give me extra money. Oh, Arif, here's a, an account that I have whose job it is is to try to gamble a little bit, make more money, take a chance. Maybe I could win. Maybe I can hit a home run. Oh, well, then go to the market. Go to Wall Street. Go to the stock market. Right? Dollar cost average. Slowly put money in as you start to grow your wealth. You're buying volatile Assets, things that go up and down, and you're buying a lot of shares when it goes down, less shares when it goes up, because you're inputting the same dollars. You're in your 40s or your 30s, and you want to take a risk, and you want that money to grow at at double-digit rates of return potentially, knowing you can lose double-digit returns potentially. Wonderful. You go to the market. But when you want guarantees and protection, when you're in your 60s, your 50s, late 50s, 60s, 70s, and you can't afford to lose this money, it has to be there. There is no game to play. There is no, I'm going to wait a little bit and maybe I'm going to keep working an extra two years if the market goes down. That doesn't exist. You want uh, protection from market declines? Okay, that's what we do. Okay, so so that's what Arif Halaby TFS Financial does. That's that's our firm. That's what we do. It's my job. That's why you would call 888-99-RETIRE. 
right? 888-997-3847. Now, what about this? What is this national issue that I'm so concerned about? Number one, it's this. There is a war going on on the other side of our border. And in fact, it's over here on the northern side of the border. There are multiple states. I would venture to say every single state south of the United States, in other words, Mexico, right? Mexico's made up of, I think, want to say 32 states. So let me see real quick. Uh, I want to say it's 32 states. All right. So Mexico has 32 federal entities, 31 states plus the capital, right? Like they're Washington, like Washington, D.C. The 31 states in Mexico, all of those that are along the border, that border the United States, are controlled either 100% or near 100% by the drug cartels. They're pushing drugs. They're doing human trafficking. They are doing uh, massive organized prostitution rings, taking people from Mexico through the United States, from the United States through Mexico, into the Middle East, into Africa, into Asia. And these young ladies, mostly, and, and young men, are going through these drug cartel hands and being paid for it. So what do I think is happening? You saw last week, a couple of Americans were, were killed. There are tons of Americans missing from Playa del Carmen, from Acapulco, from Cabo San Lucas. Many Americans missing from uh, Puerto Vallarta. Some are killed, some are missing, some who, who knows. So what do I think is going to happen? Very simply, I think uh, the U.S. Special Forces, in fact, I saw an interview with uh, one of President Trump's National security director, somebody who was involved with creating and organizing an entire system that would allow the federal government with just a little bit of notice to the Mexican government and say, we're going to we're going to pop in. We've done incredible intelligence. We know exactly where these drug cartels leadership is, where their headquarters are located, where their lines are, where their soldiers are. And we're going to come in. I don't know, a dozen Hundreds strategically, surgically go in and kill them. Now, they, they may say it differently, but that's exactly what they're going to do. In fact, President Trump had it all set up. Uh, an entire plan, including a notification system to Mexico that was very limited. Meaning we had all the, the plans laid out. We had all the logistics done. We had all the internal components done. But if you notify the Mexican government, you know they're in bed with the cartels, so they would immediately tell the cartels, and what would happen? We would, have, we would be in a position to have to, to uh, abort, right? But instead, we would barely notify them within minutes. That's going to be, lead to a war. Do you know that? Here's my concern. The Mexican drug cartels have soldiers already in the United States. It's MS-13 and other gangs that are all throughout the United States, especially here in Southern California. And do you think if U.S. Special Forces go in and surgically attack, that there is not a plan B that they might have in place that says, begin this 
reign of terror on uh, cities north of the border, begin this uh, destruction north of the border, begin this uh, sabotage of the infrastructure north of the border. You see, they're already here. How do I know that? Well, because President Biden has allowed millions of illegals from all over the world into the United States. And I think when the United States goes in to create this uh, elimination of the drug cartels, I think what you're going to get is an opportunity for chaos in the United States. So will there be a deputization of law enforcement in both state and federal? Probably. So that law enforcement that is located in the United States can bring to heel the MS-13 and other gang members? Yeah. But there's going to be 12 to 24 hours of full-blown chaos when that happens. And when that happens, you need to protect yourself. Because before martial law can be enacted and soldiers can can be uh, deployed, National Guard in the United States, to the big cities, etc., you're going to need to do what you can to protect your family. That, I think, is coming in weeks. I know, I wish I didn't say that. Now, what could be good news out of the story? Well, we could go in, surgically take these guys out. MS-13 in the United States is afraid, uh, is, is willing to just lay down and not do anything, not be the enemy behind, you know, you know, enemy lines, right? How we would drop our paratroopers in to Nazi Germany or Nazi France, and they would go in and they would blow up bridges and sabotage electric grids. Remember that story? Yep. Well, those guys don't have to parachute anywhere. They're already here. So I'm concerned about that. I, I think that's a concern. I think that's an issue. I think that's a reality. So I want you to be careful. I want you to be prepared. What I want you to do is to have money at home in a safe place. Right? I'll give you an example of what I heard somebody speak of recently. I want you to have money that is wrapped up, safe and protected. Uh, keep it in a, in a safe away from away from bad guys, right? Don't put it in your next to your bed in the dresser drawer. Don't put it in the master bedroom closet. I'm telling you, when I spent time as a Los Angeles policeman about 11 years and we would investigate burglaries, I never seemed to find anybody digging through pots and pans looking for their money, the family's money or the jewels or the little safe. I never, uh, I never saw them go through the pantry. They went through the hall closet. They went through the master bedroom closet Master bedroom, nightstands, they went through all that. So what would I do? Well, I learned something from my dad many, many years ago when he used to work in New York and come home on weekends. Yep, that's what you do when your company transfers you. And it's temporary, they said, five years later. (laughs) Temporary. And he said, and this was a time in the late 70s, early 80s, when times were, were tough before Rudy Giuliani got in there. And cleaned it up. And here's what he said. He said, basically, they he would carry around with something called mugging money. Right? Mugging money. It was $20 he would keep in his pocket. Once, one pocket. The other pocket had the rest of his money in his wallet and his keys and all this stuff, whatever it is. But he, but he would have $20 ready and available. At, any, at a moment's notice, he's robbed. He would give him the $20, $20 and they would go away. That's important because you need to have something that in case your home is broken into, 
the obvious place. The bad guys come, let them take something that looks like it could be real, the fake jewelry, maybe, you know, a few dollars, but put the rest of it in a safe place. That's what I would do. It's what I recommend is to have the real money, the, the, the savings. How much should you keep? I get this question a lot. How much should I have at home, Arif? Really, it depends on your own personal financial situation. I have seen people have $100,000 at home. Wow, that's a lot of money. Right? They work in a business. They want to keep cash available. I have seen people have $1,000 at home. One is not right or wrong. Here is the right or wrong part of that. I want you to have small bills. I don't mind if you have a couple $100 bills. That's fine. But have 20s, 10s, and 5s, even some 1s. Because remember when the earthquake happened, there, there wasn't ATM machines. And people weren't using credit cards. So you would walk up to your liquor store, grocery store. You would need groceries or something uh, to, to buy. And what would you do? If you gave him a $100 bill and he said, sorry, Jimmy, it's 26 bucks and I don't have change. Did you want it? You say, yes. He goes, well, then it's a hundred bucks. Right? So think of the larger bills as a store of wealth. Oh, I need to buy a car. Okay. You're going to need more than a hundred dollars, but it's easier to carry around hundreds of dollars instead of hundreds of dollars in $5 bills. That's why you would have larger denominations. So consider that. I want you to have a mixture. People say, Arif, what should I do with gold and silver? I hear that all the time. Do I think you should have gold or silver? Of course I do. How much? Uh, 10% of your net worth? Right? No more than that. Right around that. That's that's what the gold and, and silver experts say. 10%. That's a good number. So figure out what that equals. So it could be 5000 or 10000 or twenty or $50,000 in gold. Would I have it all in the biggest gold nuggets and silver bars? No, I wouldn't. For that same reason. Think emergencies. Think problems. What can you take to the grocery store? I need five gallons of gas. What do you do? Do you take a gold coin that might be worth, let's say at that time, $5,000? And they say, okay, 10 gallons of gas. I'd say, okay, Louis. Here's a gold coin worth $5,000. Sorry, Arif, no change. Now, if you have silver coins, and let's say at that time they're worth $50, well, it's easier to give one or two silver ounce, one ounce coins. Do you follow me? I want So just like if I owned this office building, right? This building I'm in, got it? It's a big building. Ooh, lots of windows, big, big. Oh, uh, I need to go buy a soda. I can't take a piece of drywall to the grocery store. The building might be $10 million. I still need assets. I still need income. That's why when I mentioned to you about cash flow and income, it's different than owning uh, an asset that is a store of wealth. I always want you to have land or home or rental property or gold. Those are all great assets, but they're stores of wealth. The job of that is simple. The job of that is to keep your money growing in a place that is easy to move around, easy to adjust. Sell one office building for a million dollars and buy another one for a million five. 
you're not going to carry around $5 bills in one, you know, $1 million in five, $5 bills. You wouldn't do that, of course. It's all wired and electronically transferred and on and on. So don't forget that, okay? Get back to common sense. If there's a bad day, if there's a trouble, if there's an emergency, what am I going to require myself to have? I want to have cash flow. Okay, cash flow. Because the goal is to build wealth. And we do so by not having stress along the way. And we do so by having a wonderful life along this journey. Right? Don't be, don't be convinced that, that the world of a Democrat in today's world, I don't mean, you know, the old day Democrats where they actually thought freedom of speech mattered. Right? Today's Democrats are not. They're, they're left-wing socialist. And you should call them such. Left-wing socialist. The left-wing of the Democrat Party or the left-wing of American politics. Don't let CNN run around and put a label on you, right-wing, right-wing, right-wing MAGA supporters. Oh, right-wing MAGA supporters. Now that you see Tucker Carlson, if you haven't watched it yet, you should. His review of the January 6th tapes, the actual tapes, you will see how much of a lying, dishonest Adam Kingsinger is. How much of a lying, dishonest, uh, dishonest person Liz Cheney is. Her father was not a perfect man. I don't. I didn't agree with some of the the crazy things he, he was doing in Iraq and wanting to guide the war. Okay, but still a man of integrity. Still a man who led uh, this country in in good times and bad times and made some great decisions and some bad ones like all of us. But man, did did Liz Cheney poison that family name? And you should say that. You should repeat that. And you should be held to account to answer why. Well, why did she do that, Arif? Well, because she lied and intentionally framed people, had them put in jail, their lives ruined for her political agenda so she doesn't look like a clown, the clown that she really is. Dishonest, lying Liz Cheney. You can tweet that, you know, hashtag lying Liz Cheney. And you need to, because you're letting the left wing of the Democrat Party decide your uh, labels, what they're calling you. Can you think for just a second how incredibly insane it is that the vice president's husband and the president's wife gave a lip-to-lip kiss on international television? Well, what kind of decorum is that? And then they stay seated for just a second. <laughs> then they named a man woman of the year on the International Women's Day. You can't make this stuff up. It's almost like they're going to give us information in order to um, what's the right word? in order to make fun of them, right? I mean, it, does it work any better than that? They actually give us the, the fodder to make fun of them. Why do they do that? I, I don't know. They, they, it's a transgender woman. They call her woman of the year. They have a woman on the power, a man on the powerlifting team for the women, and he wins. And he wins. And then he goes, uh, and the women don't get to 
win in their sports anymore. They won't get scholarships. Their times aren't going to matter. Everything is skewed in both high school and college. And if you're a failed man in your sport, if you just can't cut it, guess what? You can go play for the ladies team. Have you thought about that? The world has changed so rapidly and it's up to us, conservatives, Republicans, and maybe just the word conservative is better, to stand up for women because it isn't the left anymore, folks. Stay with me when we come back. We're going to get into some more of this. And your emails at the top of the hour, Arif at TFSWealth.com. That's how you get a hold of me, Arif at TFSWealth.com. If you want your email on the air, and give me a call at 888-99-RETIRE. We'll be right back. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Eric Hallaby. Thanks for staying with me on the Total Financial Hour, your place for news, talk, and information. Talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, and planning for the future. One of the things that I wanted to really go over with you, especially when it comes to the, the breakdown of what I think is happening when it comes to, oh, what's the right word? Uh, I, I guess the, the way the left is handling Taxes, uh, I don't know, and the spending. I mean, I know this is not a surprise to you, but most of you realize that both parties spend money. They just spend it in different places. Both parties tax you more than you should be taxed. They just tax you in different places, and they tax different people in different things. But both of them tax you. Both of them misspend your money. And I don't mean in, in a simple, like, tiny... I mean, they misspend it. They put it in the wrong place. They make big decisions, wrong decisions, and then they go out and they look silly in the story and create themselves a, a deficit, right? Under President Trump, a deficit. President Obama. When I used to speak in President Obama's uh, last term, uh, during his last term, I used to say... And factually correct, if you took from George Washington to the beginning of George Bush's presidency, all of those presidents, the first four years of President Obama, he spent more money than all of those men combined as president. Now, that is a huge number. But what does that mean to you? Well, it's very simple. You have to ask yourself where did all the money go? Because in that George Washington to George Bush, that whole period of time, do you realize during that whole period of time, some of them were Republican presidents. Some of them were Ronald Reagan, George Bush won. Uh, you had uh, Nixon in there. You had Eisenhower. You had a lot of uh, Republican presidents over the last 100 years who supposedly cared about America. So I'm not saying... That because you have an R or a D, you spend in a particular way. What I am saying is that President Biden's 
proposal for these major tax hikes as part of his plan to cut the deficit is really a signal. It's a signal of two things. Number one, his presidency financially has failed. It has failed. It's over. There's a pipeline system economically for the United States. He already knows what's going to come out the end of the pipeline two years from now because he knows what's going in the pipeline right now. Number one, it's massive amounts of inflation because you have to do one of two things with interest rates and inflation. Inflation has to come down or interest rates have to go up. Now, Jerome Powell from the Federal Reserve raises interest rates. Inflation is a function of all the money that they have already put in in the system, Congress and the president. The last two years, they have flooded the market with, with money. Now, that wouldn't be so bad if there were goods and services to buy. So if there were a lot of things to buy, the money would be gobbled up by many things that we would buy. But instead, they limited the amount of things that we could buy. How did they do that? The amount of energy, drilling for oil, natural gas, the uh, distribution of those of those items, the taxation, right? In the state of California, it's what uh, the highest in the nation, well over a dollar a gallon, just in state tax, not the rest of the taxes. So what they've done is they've restricted the amount of energy. So all of the goods and services have gone up in cost everywhere because everything takes energy to make, to transport, to sell, to buy. So what did they do? They pushed a lot of money in the system. Billions, billions and trillions of dollars. Somewhere in the neighborhood, some would say right around $5 trillion with a T. It's more money than you'll ever see or touch or spend in your lifetime. Maybe 10 lifetimes. $5 trillion, that's the estimate that's out and about floated around. Okay. Then what they did is they restricted the amount of things that you could buy with it by messing with the supply chain, by not allowing people to create and invent, to import, to manufacture. How do they do that? By taxing those things, by discouraging you, by not allowing you, frankly, just making it illegal. You can't just go drill over there. I know yesterday you could, but tomorrow you can't. Sorry. So all of that started going through the system. So now you have very few goods and services with a lot of money chasing them classic inflation. So they're not going to change the system that allows energy to flow amongst us in a much easier way as in President Trump's administration. So we know that the only other answer is to raise interest rates. Because remember, those two have to meet. Inflation is about 8%. Interest rates, about 4 or 5, let's call it. You have to move interest rates up. So what they've been waiting to do is to see if inflation will come down. So they're going to they're trying to kind of half hazardly, you know, moving along and raising interest rates, raising interest rates, raising interest rates, tiny little bit here and there, hoping that inflation was just quote transitory, temporary. And well, in reality, it was here to stay because they didn't change the amount of money that was chasing the amount of goods and services that were available. So what did you do? I think they're going to have to do this. Number one, they have to raise interest rates. Interest rates are going to have to get to 6, 7, 
probably realistically seven, seven and a half. The sooner we get there, the harder it is to stop. Think of it like this. You and I are driving along and we're on the long Sepulveda Boulevard over by the airport. Everybody knows that area. But in front of us, about a quarter of a mile, I see that the light has just turned red and the cars are starting to back up, but I'm not putting my foot on the brake. In fact, it's still on the gas. And you're my passenger, and you're sitting next to me going, uh, Eric, we're going to have to put on the brake here sooner or later. At least take your foot off the gas. Well, we don't see that, do we? Suddenly, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. So the closer I get, if I didn't slowly, gradually put my foot on the brake, in other words, if I wasn't raising interest rates, if Jerome Powell didn't start raising interest rates three years ago like he should have, instead, what he's doing is nothing, 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 slam on the brakes. Well, once you slam on the brakes, the whole car moves quite a bit, right? You feel that jarring. The whole economy is going to move because he's going to have to raise interest rates 1%, 1%, 1%. If he does that, he will throw this economy into a recession. You and I are going to sit here and be sad, but it's going to actually have to happen because the longer he drags this out, the bigger the problems in the system. Now, maybe he does three quarters of of a point, three quarters of a point, and then maybe they open up drilling, which takes, remember, six months to a year to get going, right? It's a slow process. That's why the Biden administration, they know exactly what's going to happen two years from now because they have already baked into the cake. It's just a matter of time before it comes out the other side of the pipeline. And because they didn't gradually put on the brakes, they're going to have to slam on the brakes. And do I think a recession is coming this summer? Yes, I do. How bad? Nobody knows. Everybody would be guessing. But I think it's going to be bad enough. So what is the solution? I have a, I have a solution to a couple of things. If I were king, I want you to think about this because I think it's the answer. Some of my proposals have gone out over the years on the air, and, and I see them uh, every once in a while pop up in either state or federal system or federal offices, meaning other smart people thought of it. I don't think I'm you know, giving this information out. I, I think just other people think about it. It's kind of a natural progression. Number one, I think if you go to every single property owner in the United States, and here's what you do. You say, guys, we need to make Social Security solvent for the next 100 years. That means kids that are born right now, we need to make sure that they have a Social Security check. That's number one. Number two is we need to make sure Medicare lasts for the next 100 years. Now you're thinking, wow, that's, that's pretty bold, Arif. Well, before I go any further, you're going to have to start weeding out the illegal aliens that are getting free health care in, in the county of Los Angeles. And I will tell you, folks, there are hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens. In other words, people that are not supposed to be here, not bad human beings, not people that were not made in God's image, not people that are not, that don't have a soul or that aren't great parents or good kids. No, no, no. I didn't say that. I said illegal aliens. You put your own negative connotation on it, left-wing people, not me. You don't get to decide what my words mean. I decide what my words mean. And they're not supposed to be here. They're not supposed to be in our emergency rooms. They're not supposed to be in our elementary schools. They're not supposed to be working. They're not supposed to be taking up uh, hotel space, right? Uh, They're not supposed to be here. When the federal government allowed Afghan refugees to come to the United States because they were loyal, hardworking, 
brave and courageous. They fought on the side of the Americans. And we made him a promise. So you know what the deal is? We got to honor that promise. What promise did we make to illegal aliens coming across the border with somebody else's kid pretending to be their kid? What? what, what not, nothing. Right? The Afghan refugees, do you realize for every man, woman, and child they receive, uh, hold your horses here, get ready for this one, $1,500 a, a month per person in your family. So husband, wife, two kids, that's six grand a month. Oh, and by the way, we also pay for you to have a place to stay in addition to that. And we pay for your cell phone, and we pay for your electricity, and we pay for your new clothes, and we pay for food. I'm not sure what you're supposed to do with that $1,500 a month per person, but they get it. Afghan refugees, okay, I get it. They fought with the Americans. They're brave. In fact, many of them saved Americans' lives. I'm willing to say we owe it to them, right? We broke your country. We're, our job is to fix it. And we do that by honoring our word. I'm okay with that. Still doesn't sit, you know, it's not the best feeling in the world, but, but I'm good with it. I can sleep well at night knowing. But what, what are we doing to men that are coming from Somalia? From the Philippines illegally? From, from the southern border? From China? From Brazil, from Cuba, what what are we doing? Why? Why? Again, decent human beings, probably. God-fearing people, probably. Good sons, yes. Mothers, got it. You don't belong here. No more than I get to pick that I want to live in that house. You know, the one that's over off of the, you know, the mountain over there by, by Bel Air, that one? Oh, I know it's not my house, but it shouldn't even have a wall around it. It shouldn't even have a fence. I just should be able to go because it's an economic opportunity for me to have that house. I mean, you understand that, right? I, I don't, I'll probably never be able to afford those three Rolls Royces and that house. So I'll tell you what I want to do. I'm just going to climb the wall. Oh, you little left-wingers. You don't think that's okay, do you? <laughs> right? You have a wall, you have a lock on your door, you have your property, you don't keep the keys in the car. What do you mean? You want us to do that? Ah, you spend other people's money. You see, I think you have to be able to have your own financial wherewithal so that you can stand up and be courageous. Do you know how many of you tell me, oh, Eric, I work for the sheriff's department, but man, I could never say this. Oh, Arif, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I have family that, that's illegal, and I would be a hypocrite, right? Because they came to this country, and they, they came, you know, illegally, and, and I, I would... No, you wouldn't be a hypocrite. No, you wouldn't. Look at the definition. You can still say that certain things are wrong, right? You can. You can have a moral compass, even one that changes, and say, you know what, I used to think it wasn't a big deal, but man, do I see the problems today. The left wing has given up on the cities. They've given up on immigration. They will not combat homelessness. They just won't. So it is up to you with your ideas, with the foundation that you've been given, with your God-fearing compass. And you can do so because when you look over your shoulder, guess what? You have income coming in a pension or social security retirement accounts from us from other places 
rental properties, just money coming in. First of every month, 15th of every month, however you choose. The Biden tax plan expects to double the capital gains tax rate from 20 to 39%. Oh, oh, by the way, they want a 25% minimum tax on all billionaires. Do you understand what will happen? When President Obama came in, he made it very clear he was going to do something similar. So here's what happened. And I was the first to cover this on the radio show. I'm telling you, in all of Los Angeles radio, I was the first. I know this because others cited my statistics. And here's what it was. There was a three-year wait to give up your U.S. citizenship. When President Obama came into office, the, the wait to give up, to give up, to say, I do not want to be an American citizen anymore. Here, take my passport, take my ID. And it's a process. It's not easy to do that. You have to go overseas and you, and assumably uh, uh, obtain residency or citizenship somewhere else. Establish yourself there. Go into the U.S. Embassy or the consulate. Give it up and say, I want to give up my U.S. citizenship. Then what they do is they run a background check. Is he running from alimony? Is she running from child support? Does she have taxes that she owes? Does he have a criminal record? So they do the background check, make sure you don't owe anybody or you're not in trouble. You're not running from something. And then they grant it and they say, you are no longer a U.S. citizen. Goodbye. There was a three-year wait under President Obama to give that up. Do you not think that billionaires who can do this at the drop of a hat, they just get on a plane and go shift their assets from one to another. Do you really think they're going to say, oh, golly gee, you got me. Here's 25% of my income, my wealth. (laughs) No. Now he wants to tax hikes on all of those making more than 400,000 a year. Who do you think makes more than 400,000 a year? Uh, Who? Probably the people, it's just a guess, that employ people. Probably the people that are really smart and skilled. So when you have poor people saying they want to take rich people's money, it's like uh, you know, uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul. When you rob Peter to pay Paul, you'll always get Paul's support. He thinks it's a pretty good idea. I'll tell you, yeah, I think you should take his money. And while you're at it, give it to me and her. Let's get it. You don't think... They've mismanaged money from the state of California all the way from the lotto. Do I have to remind you about the lotto? Hmm. When the state of California said the lotto is for the children, it's going to be for education. And you had little kids. Hi, everybody. I need a school book. Uh, Be a good American. Get Jimmy a school book. Hi, everybody. I, I need new pencils. And little Susie comes along and says, thank you, sir, for your pencil, for your contribution. I get a pencil. And we all cried. And when it came time for the lotto, we voted, yes, it's for the children. And then what did the state of California do? They misspent the money. Today they misspend the money. How do you have schools that don't have books or teachers? How? How? How is the teacher's pension $300 billion with the B upside down? How is the California State teacher's pension upside down? How is it the federal government workers' pension 
is upside down, and yet Biden just sent money to Ukraine for their government workers' pensions. He said it. He said it. We're sending money for their pensions so they will get their pay and their pensions. And Americans are losing their pensions. Everybody from from Teamsters to Boeing to, to Disney, their pensions are in trouble. A little or a lot. Kaiser Hospital, police departments, uh, city fire department, it doesn't matter. The pensions are in trouble. And, and you're going to tell me that President Biden sent money to Ukraine for their pension? How, how do the people on his political party, how do the other left-wing crazies not, not scream and yell at him? I, I don't know the answer to that. Even if he was my president, my party, and I sat down and I said, oh, that's the guy I voted for, I would be intellectually honest and say, well, you know what? I was with, with George W. Bush. I said, well, you know, he's making some dumb decisions. Uh, I might only like about 51% of what he's doing now instead of 75. Right? You can do that. You can change your mind midstream. Well, my point is this, guys. My solution to solve Medicare and Social Security is going to require them to fix the way they spend their money now. If they do that, I can fix that problem in one year. In one year, I can fix Medicare and Social Security. It's going to require the tightest guardrails possible. In other words, armored car delivery people picking up the funds and delivering it to Social Security Administration with armed export, uh, uh, escort, helicopters, taking my tax money that I will pay and dropping it off directly at the Department of Medicare of the United States of America, 100 South Cough Street. That's, what, that's where it is. So how would they do it? For one year, you have a nationwide property tax. That's it. And what it would be was be 10%, and it's going to stink for some of us that have more than one property or an office building or, or big house, whatever it is. It's 10% of your property tax. Whatever it is, instead of going to the city or the county or the state, it would go directly to the federal government. Medicare or Social Security. And that would solve the problem. Here's my concern. What would they do next year? Right? Because Washington is a bunch of dishonest people. When Chuck Schumer said that President Trump's bill was cutting Medicare, that is not true. What he was doing when President Trump proposed to freeze it. In other words, we're just not going to keep growing and growing and growing because every single year it grows, grows, grows. He said, okay, whatever it is last year, we're going to make it next year. So it'll be, it'll stay the same. We're not cutting it. We're not cutting back, but because it didn't have this natural automatic increase, he said, well, you must be cutting it. He lied. Chuck Schumer, Adam Schiff, uh, Adam Kinziger, I can't say that right. Kingsinger. Liz Cheney. They're all the same. I mean, 
you're going to say, oh, uh, sometimes some of you are so darn cynical. Every politician lies. Okay, every human being lies. Let's be clear on that. You lie. All of us have lied about something. All right? So be clear on that for a minute. But here's the other part that I think you need to understand and be, be serious about. I need you to ask yourself this very serious question. You have to vote for somebody. Or you're not an American, or you know, you're not going to stay American anyway, because it means we won't have a, a, a system. So who are you going to vote for? Now that we, we all agreed, he lies, she lies, I lie, they lie. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Now what? You got to vote for somebody. Oh, they're dirty, they're dirty, yep, 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 and you got to vote for somebody. So remember that. Do I think they could solve the problems? I think they could. I think if we all committed, I've kind of broken it down. I actually have a proposal that I say would work. Each state, city, county collects the property tax and sends it directly to the federal government's Social Security Administration. One year, that's it. And it would provide Social Security to be back on track. you got to make some other changes. Push the dates out a little bit. Push the ages out a little bit. And we could save Social Security. I'm Eric Hallaby. Stay with me. Top of the hour. Your emails when we come back. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arab has a plan for me. Higher income strategy. Retire comfortably Thanks to Arab Halaby Now every dollar's got a job to do Arab makes your money work for you Learn about financial power The total financial hour Learn about financial power The total financial hour Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. This is Arab Halaby, the total financial hour. About your talking about your family's finances, getting out of debt, of course, managing money, planning for your future. A couple of things if you haven't paid attention to the travel advisement uh, against traveling to parts of Mexico after the Americans were killed. I want you to avoid that. I know it's difficult for a lot of you. It's easy to get down there to Mexico. It's a great place to vacation when things are nice, right? The people, the costs of living, uh, the food is amazing, uh, but unfortunately, they have a cowardly government, both state and federal government, it's corrupt, and it's just a joke, to put it mildly interesting. Uh, yeah, you have to stay away from there for quite a while. I think you have to punish them. Uh, unfortunately, there is nobody that will stand up to the drug cartels, not Joe Biden, not General Miley, right? He's one of the, I think, one of the biggest cowards, sold out his men simply to be the general and talk about woke, transgender, baloney. Unbelievable. I think there are more people in the United States that are left-handed than are transgender. Fair enough? 
Well, we need to change everything. You need to change door handles. You need to change the way we drive cars, the stick shifts. I mean, everything needs to change. Why? Because there are people that are left-handed and they feel, let's go back to this. They feel bad. And who wants to feel bad? Not me. I don't want them to feel bad. So we need to change. It's all about left-handed people, just so you know. And if we fix it, well, the world will be a better place. Well, what are we seeing with the 401k plans? Because I want to get into your emails here real quick, but this is pretty important. Americans are withdrawing from their 401k plans at record levels. Now, here's the challenge. When you are putting money in to a retirement plan and you have 10 or 20 years left, you want to go into the market because you're dollar cost averaging. You're buying when it's low, you're buying when it's high, right? That's what you want to do, especially if it's a place at your place of employment, your work, where there's a matching. That's free money. You put money in, they put money in. You put money in, they put money in. You're buying when it's high, you're buying when it's low. That systematic investing lowers your costs and increase increases your value. Okay, now, now you're in the withdrawal phase, right? You're in the uh, decumulation. You're in the payout phase, as we call it, which is now you're beginning to receive funds. So as you're receiving money out of the system, as you're pulling money out, in other words, to live on, you can't afford, you should not be involved in the crazinesses of the up and the down of the market. It's not how it works. You should actually be in the exact opposite of that, right? You should be in a system to where when the market's going up and down, you're buying. When it's going up and down, I don't want you selling. You have to get out of that system. You get into a place that's pretty clean. And simple. The market goes up, you get to make some interest. If it goes down, you at least do not go backwards. Okay? Very important. If you are in the payout phase of retirement, you don't leave it in the market. Because when it goes down, you have to sell more shares. As you sell more shares, because you don't take shares to the grocery store. So if you have a thousand shares of something and they cost $1 per share and you need five shares, $5, you sell five shares, say, give me $5. I'm going to the store. But when the shares go down in value, you still have a thousand shares, but no longer are they valued at a dollar. Now they're valued at 50 cents. So, You don't take one of the shares to the grocery store and say, hey, a share is a share, right? A piece of a company is a piece of a company. They go, we don't care. We we only take dollars here. Thank you. But the, the cost, the value of a share is only 50 cents, but you still need $5. So now it's not five shares that you have to sell and turn to cash and go to the store. It's 10. So now you have to take 10 shares and go to the grocery store. Well, those 10 shares are gone. They're never to be seen again. So you run out of money in a a much faster pace when you have to sell more shares. They are gone. So dollar cost averaging works against you when you are in a position to retire. Okay, so please be careful about this, the 401k withdrawal rate we're seeing is at record levels, and that's a scary scenario for us because as people are pulling money out of the system, of course, those shares are gone, and, and they're gone never to be seen again as well, right? You follow me on that? Those shares, when they're gone, they're gone, and I don't want you being in a position to where you're trying to ask, well, how am I going to come up with money when 
I thought I had quite a bit in my 401k plan. Well, you did, but your 401k plan is no longer the same. All right. So here's my uh, email for today. Ready? This is important because it's my dear air from what do they say? Very simple. I love them. Let me pull this up here. All right. Dear Arif, my son and I are moving to a new apartment after my ex-husband has lost all of our money. It's kind of sad. Some of the bad decisions he made involved gambling and some involved just bad investments. I'm 52 years old and my son is 16. Our goal is to rebuild our financial life together and make it possible for him to attend college someday. He is a very, he's a very smart person and wants to be an electrical engineer. My retirement accounts have dropped down to about $60,000. Right. I can't afford to lose it, so I hope you have some ideas. Since my new job has a 401k plan, my goal is to, is to add $500 per paycheck. When it comes to emergency money, I, like I sold our, our, our RV and I have about $48,000. I'm keeping that for a future down payment on a house. My credit is in ruins, so I need to rebuild that first. Thank you in advance, Maureen. All right, Maureen. A couple of things. Let's start with your son that I think is pretty important. First of all, your son should work part-time somewhere. He needs to save his own money. It's tough, but all of us have started at a young age. If you've had any level of success... It usually means you started working at a young age because you you developed habits, work habits, right? No different than work habits in school, but work habits at a job. So that's important. Well, if he starts a community college this summer, all right, let's be clear on this. His community college can actually count for his high school credits. It's what our kids did. And so, for example, if he gets a 3.0 GPA, it counts as a 4.0 GPA in high school because it's honors without taking an AP course. If he gets a 4.0, it counts as a 5.0, and it gives him a little bit of leverage in some of the other classes. So his GPA could be a little higher overall because maybe he had something he wasn't great at. It's a way to boost up that GPA so that he can get into the right schools. So his high school GPA is going to actually be a little bit higher as we do the average. What it also does is every summer he should be able to take between four and five classes. So between now and the time he graduates high school, he should have at least one good good year under his belt, maybe even two, because he can take winter courses. He can take some abbreviated courses. He can dual enroll. Right, So the last two hours of the day or in the afternoon, his job could be to go to school. That could be part of his job. The reason I say that is so that when you're ready to go to high school, uh, college, he's already has one or two years, the, the, the GE under his belt. That's good. That means you don't have to pay for that. Because as a high school student in the state of California, you get community college at no cost. You have to buy books. That's why I want him to work. But the rest of it he gets at no cost. And he gets to carry those classes with him to whatever four-year university accepts those transcripts. So make sure he's taking the classes that fit, right? So go to the high school, sorry, go to the uh, college. Don't go to the high school. Go to the college uh, dean 
right? So the guidance counselor can walk him through which classes work for his GPA, uh, sorry, for his uh, uh, degree, right? For the school that he wants to get into. As an electrical engineer, it's not easy, but he can do it. And he can set it up to where he is ready to go and only has to do two years of school. And if he does it right and gets his high school grade point average up high enough, he might even get some scholarships and some grants. So consider that as an option. All right. I like that idea. Next, Maureen, for you, good job. You have $60,000. You're going to always say it's not enough. Everybody does. It doesn't matter how much you have. I mean, maybe the extremes, oh, uh, people will say, I'm rich. Okay, fine if you are. But most people wish they had more money. All right? So there are people that I've had in my office that are 50 years old, so even a little younger than you, that have 300000 and who think they don't have enough money or they didn't save enough or they made bad decisions. You, you've come out of a mess. So good news, you've got a good foundation. And we can fix your credit. I'll get to that in a second. All right, so what do I want you to do with the $60,000? I like the idea that you have $48,000 in savings. That's emergency money. That's backup. I want you to rent, and I want you to rent for as long as possible, maybe even until you retire. I know you think the answer is to have a house to live in, but the amount of money you have to put in is a down payment and then fix the water heater and a new roof and on and on. You don't have those extra funds. It will eat up everything you have, and you'll become house-rich and cash-poor. If you rent, that money you would have put in repairs and the down payment and on and on actually gives you a chance to have a life, to enjoy things, to travel, to, to buy things that keep you safe and warm and comfortable, like a nice car, right? Go back to school, finish this grade, whatever it is. But here's where the, it's important. Let's say your son starts his life, because it sounds like it's just you too. Let's say he starts his life, and he says, I'm moving. I got a job in, in Texas. Guess where you can move? Texas. What if he goes to Washington State? You can go to Washington State. If he goes to Florida, you get it? You can go, well, maybe the next town over, but you can go where he is and live a great life. Here's how you rebuild your credit. First of all, I want you to pay everything off. Every time you receive a bill, pay it down. Pull your credit report. See where you are. I don't want you leaving anything on your credit, on a credit card, if you can help it. And the reason is simple, because your interest rates are probably really high, and you can't afford wasting that money, because it is a waste. So pull your credit report and then reach out to me and I'll help you walk through some things and put you in touch with some of the folks that I think are pretty sharp on, on some of the credit fixing uh, things. You can find them online also. All right. Here's another part that really matters. If you are saving ready for this, that's 60,000. There are companies that we work with that can pay you a, a bonus, a matching income bonus designed to give you an income stream, which is what we want. We want a couple extra pensions, right? Social security, building up your accounts and on and on up to 35%. That's right. A bonus of up to 35%. That's great. There's three or four companies out there that do it. You put in the 60,000 and they'll give you 35% on top. That's great. All right. What else? Well, that can turn into a little mini income stream for you later on in life. 
But your 401k is going to be the gold. Here's what I mean. If you put in $500 per paycheck, that should be over $300,000 in the next 20 years, maybe even more. Your Social Security, that should be about $3,000 a month. So when it all is said and done between all of these accounts at age 70, 71, 72, right in there, you should be in the neighborhood somewhere somewhere right around 6000 a month. Now you might say that's not enough to live on but in the future. No problem. You'll save more because you'll probably make more money as time goes on. So instead of $500 a paycheck, what I want you to do is every time you receive a pay raise, I want you to take half of that pay raise and increase your 401k contribution. Half increase that. The other half you could live on, pay down your bills, build up your credit. So if you receive $100 every two weeks in a pay raise, we're going to add $50 to your paycheck that you're going to spend, right? And then $50 to your 401k plan that you're going to do what with? You're going to just increase it. So now it's $550 a paycheck. Okay, the RV money, that's the emergency money. You're not going to touch that for anything other than an emergency. Let it grow, let it build. Its job is to be simple. It's to be there for all heck breaking loose. And I want you to add to it each and every month. Even if it's $25 a paycheck, I want you to get into the habit of adding to that savings emergency account. And because you're going to rent as long as you can, you have the freedom, and yes, it's freedom. You realize it was the, uh, Amer- might have been the U.S., uh, the American Realtors Association, I believe is who it was, that coined the phrase, it is the American dream to own real estate. Do, do you understand? It was their idea to turn that into the American. It didn't exist. There was no American dream before. That that wasn't a thing. That that. That's not the American dream was made up. It was a marketing ploy. So it was not as if it actually somebody woke up someday and says, I guess it's supposed to be my dream. So it's going to be my dream. Nope. Nobody had that as a dream. It was just a thing that somebody made up. And it's not right for many Americans. The millennial Right, The kids uh, that were late teens, early 20s, when they saw their parents in 2008, yeah, those folks that saw their parents lose their rental property, they saw their parents lose their primary home, those folks are saying, forget you, I'm not, I'm not buying, I'm going to rent. And they have that flexibility and that freedom. Now, maybe with the, the coming collapse of the real estate market in some parts of the country, they might change their mind that that could, that's a real big possibility. But if I can get you to be five or six or $7,000 a month in income at age 70, that's a great thing for you. That's not impossible to be there. Right? Cause I would expect that 600 maybe to 1200. So 1200 plus 3000 is 4,200. Three, yeah, I'm I'm thinking right at the $7,000 mark, guys. That's a great thing, all right? So that's an option for you. I think, Maureen, one of the, the ideas, guys, that a lot of us have seen in our lives 
that, that, we, that we see her dealing with. It, it's simple. It's tragedy striking. It's the, what I have heard called and certainly overblown is this idea of financial infidelity. Right, I know some financial infidelity. The guy, I'm, I'm saying, what did, what did he do? He cheated on a dollar bill with you? <laughs> he took a dollar and made it into 50 cents and, and tried to lie? I don't know. What, what does that mean, financial infidelity? I know the official definition. He cheated on you, kept hidden credit cards, kept a hidden bank account, and, and she took her money and was hiding things in the closet. I, I, okay, I get all of that. You can solve that problem very easily and not have to get a divorce. All you do, it's very simple, is you have your bank accounts, I have mine. You put your money directly where? Well, you put your money in the your bank account, and we have a joint bank account. And that joint bank account every month equals our bills, divided by two. Right. So if you have somebody who, who but for the, the financial, what you would call infidelity, being a son of a gun, then you just let them crash and burn in their own world, financially speaking. Maybe that's not always the right answer for everybody, but I think you guys are quick to run away from relationships. I see it. I see it a lot. I had a letter recently. I think I read it to you guys. I don't know if I did, if it was one that didn't make the the show uh, of a lady, her and her husband have been married for quite a long time, many years. And they just said they grew apart and they grew apart very simply because she was so used to a routine. She would come, he would come home from work and they really had about an hour and a half, two hours together in the evening and about an hour with each other before he went to work. And then they had some time on the weekends minus his golf days or minus her friends with, you know, lunch dates on Sunday after church or whatever. So by the time they were done, they really saw each other about 10 or 15 hours a week, maybe 20 hours a week. Well, that's not really a marriage. I mean, I get it that you have to work, but you got to figure this out, guys. So no wonder 45 years later, he retires and says, honey, I'm home for good. And she says, well, first of all, who are you? And second of all, I got things to do today. So... I get it. It's eight o'clock in the morning and you're still here. Um, but now you're cramping my style. I have lunch to go to. I have people to see. I have places to go and it doesn't involve you. And he's going, wait, excuse me. I worked my whole life so that I could come home and now I'm home and you don't want me here. You know, imagine how he feels. He feels like the sucker in the story. Right, He busted his tail his whole life so that he could provide for his family. He comes home now, and now it's his turn, I guess, if there's even a turn. And, and what takes place is, well, I don't really need you. Don't want you. I, I mean, I want the money. Don't get me wrong. I want the stuff. I need that. But you, eh, could do without. And I think that's part of the reason that we're seeing this high level of divorce behind the scenes in these 30, 40 year plus marriages, right? We're seeing this because people are reaching that age and they're trying to figure out what they were married for to begin with, right? They, they, they feel like, uh, you know, who did they marry? 
So I want you to be careful. Here's how I want you to fix it. I want there to be at least once per week. Two would be better. Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Friday. I don't care. Two dates per week, especially when the kids are gone. There has to be something that is more important than the routine of existing. The routine of getting home, eating dinner so you can get to bed, so you can get wake up and do it again tomorrow. That is the deadliest sin, if you will, that comes to the marriage, financially speaking, is the using of one person. And it could be, of course, the lady that works and the guy that takes care of the home. I've seen both. So I I need you to, to have a couple of days a week. It doesn't have to be anything big. Go to the park, sit on a bench, go get some ice cream, uh, go get a, a smoothie, right? One of the the healthy smoothies things. Take one night a week and you're going to have dinner together where the phones are in the car or they're locked in your you know drawer or the purse or whatever. And you're out somewhere, gone. I don't care. Taco stand. You can go sit somewhere. You have dinner together, which just you two. Okay, those are important things, guys. Please don't forget that. I deal with a lot of folks and how we d- distribute and uh, separate the assets and how are we going to separate his, hers, and mine. And he lied and she took the money out of the account and there was an extra dollar there and that, that money disappeared. And, you, you know, those kinds of decisions that are made that end up leading people down this road where it's just real scary. And I want you to be in a position where you have a life that leads past that. Okay. Pretty important. Hey guys, let me give you our email address again. It's Arif, A-R-I-F at T as in total F as in financial S as in solutions. So TFS wealth.com. So Arif at TFS wealth.com. That's where you send your emails. If you have any questions, Uh, And also, if you don't want me to read it on the air, please put that. Sometimes you guys do that. So I appreciate the heads up and we don't do that. I'll answer you directly. But if you don't mind, uh, then I'm going to read it on the air. And and, uh, of course, I'll change your name if you would like me to. Usually I do. Um, Just so you know, guys, I make uh, the name changes so that it's not somebody that you would go, hey, that sounds like Susie down the street. All right, please be careful. And then you can get a hold of us at 888-997-3847. That's 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-99-RETIRE. I have an email coming up next. This should make you laugh, I think. And should be quite interesting because you're going to find a way to link this next person and J. Paul Getty when we come back. Your place for news, talk, and information. This is AM870, The Answer. And I'm Eric Hallaby on the Total Financial Hour. On your place for news, talk, and information, AM870, The Answer. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Now higher income strategy. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Hey there, welcome to the show. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Arab Halaby. This is your place for news, talk, and information, the total financial hour. 
We're continuing with your emails. And so if you're just joining us, I want to fill you in. Uh, you send your emails to us. We answer them in a financial uh, manner, but also with our values and with what I think makes a big difference in the world, financially speaking. 27 years of experience on this planet when it comes to financial services as a professional and another 10 years but before that as an individual, meaning I did it for myself, certainly for my families, uh, my family and my friends uh, back in the, uh, well, 37 years ago. That means I'm getting old. But 27 years licensed and geared up for you and your family's financial life. That's what we do. Total Financial Solutions and TFS Financial Insurance Services, uh, our specialty is helping you get out of debt, manage money, plan for the future. We often do our two-hour show where we are covering uh, politics, state, local, even, uh, of course, national politics, how it impacts you, how it impacts your retirement accounts, money, inflation, the things that make a difference on your accounts. These things matter, and I'll tell you why, because I think most people don't have an answer when it comes to what's next after working. They don't understand. They don't understand what to do with their money, what happens. Like, Does it even uh, come back into their bank account? Is it even a paycheck? Is it an auto deposit? Do I go somewhere and pick it up? I mean, it sounds uh, almost bizarre that those are the types of questions, but they are because it's not normal for people to retire. They, they're interested in working. They do that. They know what happens. They know how the paycheck works. They know how they're paid and on and on. But when it comes to retirement, wait a second. So you mean I sit at home and the check is deposited in the bank? Yes. Okay. So, but then what happens where it walks? Well, that's completely different. It's auto deposited in your credit union. <laughs> Nothing changes. It's just a simple process. All right. So I want to stay with, uh, stay with this idea here of your retirement life and what I think really matters when it comes to, um, well, how to plan for the next generation, because that really makes, I think a big difference, right? Let's start with this. This is, uh, well, it looks like Lou and Marianne. All right. Lou and Marianne. I appreciate you guys. You, you said a lot of nice things in the rest of your email. I'm going to cover just this part here on the show, but I appreciate you guys and listening for as long as you have. That makes a big difference. All right, here's what it is. Dear Arif, we have listened to your shows for over 15 years. We live in northern Los Angeles County, and we know that's where you started your radio career. I thank you for all of your interesting and sometimes fun information. I never thought I would be one to call or write in, but here I am. I'm 67 years old and my husband is 66. We have both had great careers and our kids are all financially successful enough to be on their own. Our goal is to leave them some money when we die so that their life can be a little easier than ours. However, I do know that those challenges that we faced made us stronger. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a second. She's mentioning that because I just covered that in the last couple of weeks about why I think it's important to still have your kids struggle, still have them go through some challenges, but you do have to know that that process that we want to make uh, or, or the, the feelings that we want to make our, our children's lives better, that's natural. It's normal. It isn't just found in a lot of ethnic backgrounds, right? If you, if you listen to uh, Mexican families or Lebanese families or uh, Filipino families, their goal is to always make sure their, the next generation is a little bit better, a little bit easier, uh, have a little bit more. But I think that's the same from everybody, 
right? American families, whatever. There's, there's son of a guns in both places that say, screw that. Everything is mine. I'm, my kids don't get a penny. And there's others that say, I'm not going to even, you know, buy a new dress or a new shirt because I want my kids to have everything. Both extremes are wrong in my opinion, in my experience, but somewhere in the middle is right. Okay. So let's continue with them and, and see. Uh, however, I do know that those challenges made us stronger. All right. Continuing. We have about $500,000 we expect to leave to the kids as well as our main house. We have a vacation house in Big Bear and we want to keep that in the family. I am worried they may sell it after we are gone. Is there a way to keep the house for a family retreat and a place for our grandchildren to take their kids someday? Also, since our house is valued at over a million dollars, what is the best way to leave it to them? We have about another $780,000 in IRA money that we plan on spending on our own lives and our own living. What is the best way to leave that money if there's any left to the two kids as well? Okay. All right, Lou and Marianne, I appreciate you guys. That's nice that you said some of those nice things. Uh, Here's the other part, guys, that matter that most of us don't realize. Just because you leave money to your kids or you want to leave money to the kids, doesn't mean they're going to get it. Sometimes your kids make dumb decisions and sometimes really bad decisions. It could be DUI and they owe restitution and maybe didn't tell you about it. And when you die and you leave them money, the state seizes it and it goes to the victims or it goes back to the state to pay the court costs. It could be that your kids uh, made really bad decisions financially and have credit uh, uh, credit card debt or, or other debtors, uh, creditors that are chasing them. The creditors want their money. Your kids owe it to them. Well, as soon as you die, if you leave this money to the kids, it's no longer your money. It's now the kids. Well, really, it's now the creditors. So there could be things like that. It depends on how close you are to your kids and how much you trust and believe what they're saying, right? When they say, oh, we're fine. Oh, we're financially okay. We're good. We're strong. If your kids are making dumb decisions, which mean, which means student loans, they have student loan debt and they're buying a new car. What? No, you can buy a used car. As long as you have student loan debt, you buy a used car, kids. I know it's not the fancy one with the fancy this and the better that and the the exciting this. But as soon as you start to find yourself convincing yourself, it's for safety. Oh, got it. Danger, safety, spend more money than we have, right? We use that as a little, we use that to convince ourselves. Listen, it's not about me. I don't want the new car. I'm just doing it because I have children that count on me to go to work every day and make a living. And so, of course, they want me to arrive back safely. So I need the fancy new car with the 17 airbags. I mean, come on. It's not about me. I'm a giver. (laughs) Right. Okay, Lou and Marianne, I'm going to assume your kids are on track. But just remember, bad marriages, divorces, marriages that are on the rocks, you guys pass away unexpectedly, they receive the money. How you can protect this is through a living trust. It's called a revocable living trust. And the revocable living trust means that the kids can, or you can, as the settlers, it's called a settler, like the old Wild West, the settlers, okay, or the grantor. So you're going to grant the trust assets. 
my recommendation is to grant the trust your main house. You might want to also grant the trust your bank accounts, your savings and checking. Okay, that $500,000, whatever account that's in, you put that in there and you account for it. You say, I want the kids to get this much per month. I want them to get this much, but only if they don't have any outstanding debts, but only if their student loans are paid off, but only if they're not going through a divorce. Okay, you can put those provisions in there. And I think that's a wise move. And I think if you have the right provisions in there that put these guardrails, right, they, they protect the ability for you to retain some control even after the grave by putting some parameters on it. Listen, kids, you're going to have to make X amount of dollars. I may have shared with you a friend of mine. He's, he's quite wealthy. He has two daughters. And years ago, when he put his trust together, one daughter was our, her and her husband was our, were already making four or five hundred thousand a year. It's great, successful and smart. The other daughter, well, depends on which day of the week it was. She was either a cocktail waitress or a model or a secretary or uh, was an actress or a singer. She went to Nashville. She was going to be a singer there for a while. Right? So there was always something going on. So here's what he did. He put a trust together that said, I have two different daughters, one older, one younger. The younger one was the, the wild one, if you will. So here's what I'm going to do. If I die, there, I'm, I have a professional trustee. Banks and attorneys, this is what they do for a living. Now, they charge a fee. So they're going to be paid something for this. And what he did is he decided that the girls have to show up whatever day, let's call it June 1st, every year with their tax returns from the previous year. Here's how much I've made. And whatever they've earned, the trust will give them the same. So if one earned $30,000, then the attorney writes a check for $30,000. If one made a half a million dollars that same year, well, she gets 500000 Do you see how it works? Whatever you get, it's doubled. Whatever you earn, it's doubled. That's nice. It's different, though. But it's not fair. Arif, it's not fair. It doesn't matter. One plus one is two. Never asked number four, hey, hey, is it okay? Hey, number four, are you okay that one plus one is two? I mean, we're not even including you in the story. Are you all right, number four? It's not fair. I want to be included, said number four. That doesn't happen. Money is money. One plus one is two, whether you want it to be or don't want it to be or like it or don't like it. Hold a sign. Call yourself transgender. You, you, illegal, legal. One plus one is two. It just is. It's not racist. It, okay. So if you lay out in the trust, guys, you can put in there, hey, kids, one of you is more successful than the other. So tough cookies. Show up and you'll get this much money. That's one of the options. Because you're going to have a lot of money. 1.5, maybe 2 million. By the time it's all said and done, okay, maybe $2 million there. All right. But here's what I want you to do. Now, the sticky part of it. The sticky part was that house in Big Bear, isn't it? The J. Paul Getty Museum. J. Paul Getty started a trust about 100 years ago. And his trust said that I want... To open a well, he liked art. That was his thing. So the J. Paul Getty Trust 
said, I'm going to have art. I'm going to donate a billion dollars to art, whatever the number was. And you guys have to, with the money that you make, you have to reinvest a certain percentage of that right back into artwork and do it all over again. And, oh, you made more money than you thought? Go out and buy more art. If you ever watch any art auctions, and I know most of you don't, I had I do it for you. I, I do that on occasion. I, I don't go to them. I watch them because I think they're interesting. And it's always the lady in the back, right? They're all wearing black. And it's a lady in the black talking on the phone. And she raises her hand. And he says, uh, the anonymous bidder in the back, $2 million for this piece of artwork. And then the anonymous bidder in the back on the left, $3 million. And before you know it, sold to the anonymous bidder on the phone in the back. Okay. When that happens, the anonymous bidder on the phone in the back could be in the very next room and often is. And in that very next room, they've already seen it. They already like it. But here's what they didn't want you to do. They didn't want you to know that the, the, the purchase of that uh, piece was done by the J. Paul Getty Museum or the New York Metropolitan uh, Museum of Art or, or the Denver Art, whatever. It could be anybody that's buying it. But often that is the way that an organization like the J. Paul Getty Museum, the trust, purchases art. Because they are told to. The instructions inside of the trust say you shall spend this much money on art. And you cannot charge a fee for people to come and see it. That's why that entire place was built off the 405 freeway in Sunset. And it's free to attend. Not free to park, but free to attend. You can walk in. It's designed for children to come up. And that's why they have that you know human, what do they call it, people mover monorail system. But here's what else they did. They have a vault there. I won't give you the details, but it's a big vault. And it has artwork in there that you're just never going to see. And that museum that holds everything has various pieces of art and they kind of drip it into the system. Right? That's nice. Dripping it into the system, dripping it into the system, and becoming where you get a chance to enjoy the artwork. Well, why does that make a big difference? Because the price of art goes up when there are lots of people that want it. And if you know that the J. Paul Getty Museum wants the artwork because they have a lot of money, guess what you're going to do with the price of your art? Well, it goes up, doesn't it? Okay. Keep that in mind because the family can still benefit. There's still beneficial uh, uh, reasons, right, for the family to receive the money. They, they get little pieces and parts. They have certain benefits and certain uh, drawbacks, right, by being a Getty. Sometimes it's a, you've been married as a lady, so you've changed your name. So you get a little bit more anonymity in, in life. But look, sometimes people are kidnapped and bad things happen. So you have to be careful with your, with your family. All right, here's what I need you to know. Lou and Marianne, you guys can do this. You can create a what's called a generation skipping trust. Meaning, you can put the trust in place that bypasses the children and goes directly to the grandchildren. Now, 
the kids can still use the cabin, but they cannot control the cabin. The control of the cabin goes to the next generation. Oh, they're still minors. You have an attorney or a trust company. And in California, you can set up that generation skipping trust for 99 years. Other states, it's 20 or 21 years, etc. But in the state of California and a few others, you can have a generation skipping trust. You can put in that, this big bear house, and it can exist for the next 99 years. So here's what I would do. I want you to use the IRA for yourself. That's how you're going to spend money. That's how you're going to live. Pay for your long-term care, your needs, your health needs, that kind of stuff. Use that 780000 to live on and enjoy life. All right. Consider using some of that $500,000 for upkeep for the next 20 years or beyond. Property taxes, repairs, so that the building itself, the house in Big Bear, has a little bit of a, a little bit of a cushion, doesn't it? Has the ability to give money, for, you know, from the trust to pay for the upgrade in the, in the roof or the damage to this or the repainting of that. I like that because it gives you a chance to make sure that it stays in good repair for that next generation's generation. All right, here's what I like. I want you to lay out all the provisions inside of the trust for care and upkeep, scheduling in advance every six months, every year, for now until 99 years pass. But here's the other important, uh, the important part. Play as if, you know, play make, I call make believe, as if, while you're still alive. Let's see how it works. Require the the process, as you go through this process, Let's see how the kids react with everything. Let's see how they treat each other. Let's see how you can create a schedule so that you get the cabin, uh, you know, every everybody's month of their birthday. You can go anytime you want during the month of you or your wife or your husband's birthday. Okay, so that's four months out of the year. Hopefully it's, uh, you know, they're different months. Think of something. You can create what day of the month they were born. Okay, so they get to select it in the order. I don't care. You can make up any kind of game. And you get a chance to see how they get along. It's not fair, Mom. Right, if they start using the F word. It's not fair. That's the F word, by the way. <laughs> so so if they start saying then guess what you do? You say, hey, kids, you know what? I'm going to donate this cabin to charity. Forget you guys. I don't want you to hate each other because of an item that is an inanimate object. Because when I start to see parents put a trust together and they have kids that really never liked each other. They just are our family. So they, they tolerate each other during the time of the year, but they don't really like each other. And what they do is they end up fighting over stuff. And the moment the glue called the parents are gone, they fight so much that the that the Hatfields never speak to the McCoys again. And because that occurs, your great-grandchildren on each side will never speak to each other again. And we don't know why we don't talk to that side of the family. Those people over there 
Those people we don't talk to. We don't like them. You've heard it. You've seen it. You probably have lived it. So you can build a financial life that accounts for as much of that as possible. But if it is not meant to be, please don't force a square peg into a round hole. Sell everything, give them the money, and let them make their own memories with their own children. Let you guys make the memories as long as you're here. Keep the cabin for you and and Lou Marianne so you guys can enjoy it. And if they don't want it, put a provision in the trust that after a year or two years, if they can't make it work, right, give them a chance maybe to make make habits out of it. Right, It might take them a little while. Okay, fine. Oh, you know what? Come to find out we actually like going. Come to find out we actually enjoy Christmas there. Come to find out the summer, you know, our two-week summer vacation is a lot of fun. So you can do a little bit about that. Uh, But you're going to play as if. While you're alive, I want you to see how it works. Create habits. Let's see if they can create habits that are around sharing and building something. Right? Because the part of the financial life that makes a difference is not just having a room full of dollar bills that you can roll around on your master bedroom. Right? Get your king bed out. California king. Let's roll around on $20 bills. Right? That, that's silly. One of, one of my dreams at one point for my mom and dad, I remember they were struggling financially. And I, I remember I told my mom that one day I was going to have $1,000 and I was going to spread it all over the living room floor. So when she came home from work, she would come home and find $1,000. That was you know almost three, house, three months of house payment for my parents when I was young. That's pretty good. I remember that was my goal was to, to do that. As I got older, it was a silly goal and and didn't make a lot of sense, but it certainly was kind of a way that a young boy or young man wants to take care of his parents. So I can see that. But it was the dream of a young boy. It doesn't mean you have to implement it because I'm no longer a young boy. You follow me? So the dream that you have, a lot of us have, that the Norman Rockwell painting of the family, maybe your family just isn't that way. I've had to come to grips with my family's a little bit different than I, I thought it was. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's worse. It just means it's different. And you have a choice. You can keep trying to push a square peg into a round hole Or you can figure out that you have to figure out how to make a living, how to make a life, how to make memories, whatever the difference is. Right? I remember the day came. I must have been about 40 years old. Right? Probably 15 years ago. I remember sitting around saying, like, I was was really sad. I was kind of depressed. And it was... I'm never going to be an astronaut. Like, wow. Because my whole life I thought, I well, I could. Tomorrow, I could. I could go back to school. I could. I could. I could. And I remember when the day came where that dream of being an astronaut was never going to be realized in my lifetime. And I thought to myself, that was a very sad day. So, Lou and Marianne, decide, is this a dream that you have or that they have? And if it's a dream that they have and you can facilitate it, more power to you. 
But if it isn't, I don't want you to try to make something fit into a hole that doesn't fit, okay? Thanks for being a part of the show, guys. You want to have your email read on the air? Give me a call. 888-99-RETIRE or send me an email at Arif at TFSWealth.com. That's Arif at TFSWealth.com. And I'll reach out to you. Thanks for being part of the show. It's been an honor. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Learn from Arif Halabi.